As Andrew uh, said earlier, we started a new uh, teaching series on the book of Hebrews, one of the, the books in, in the Bible. And so we started last Sunday, and we're, so it's early days, but we're continuing uh, the same uh, themes and stories today. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, uh, please do keep it open to uh, that passage that was just read for us. And it's, it's helpful to keep, uh, I guess, following through the passage as I'm speaking and to be checking what I say according to, to the Scriptures, because that's a really important exercise, I think, for us to be doing. But let me pray for us as we now spend this time in God's Word. Father, we, we thank you that uh, you have recorded uh, these words for our benefit, that we might better understand you, that we better understand the Lord Jesus and even ourselves. So please, God, help us to pay attention to your words. We pray that you might uh, convince us about the wonders of Jesus, that we might look to him and trust him in all things. And, Father, we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. There must be a kajillion pop songs written about angels. Uh, you think about uh, Robbie Williams, U2, Stevie Nicks, the list just goes on and on, and even TV shows, television shows. Uh, Supernatural was really popular a decade ago, or Touched by an Angel. Anyone remember Highway to Heaven with Michael Langdon, if you're old enough like me? Um, angelic interest isn't like stuck in a Renaissance painting, as we might possibly think, but people remain fascinated by and still interested in the idea of angels and angelic beings and, and what pop culture tends to do is to feed that interest continually. 48% uh, of Australians uh, believe that ghosts exist or the possibility that they might exist. They're open to that. 69% uh, of the same group of Australians say that they believe in the soul. There is something about the human being that is separate from the material, from the body, but exists and is real. In fact, and this is interesting, belief in the spiritual and in the supernatural increases the younger the generation. So it's not as though belief in these things is decreasing amongst younger people. It's actually increasing. So Gen Z, for example, are more open to belief in God than millennials are or Gen, uh, what is it, Generation X, where I sort of belong. More than half of 18 to 26-year-olds today believe either that angels exist or they are open to angels existing. And in fact, this group is slightly more favoring belief in angels than in God. I'm not sure you, how you have angels without God, but that's okay. One of the things that the survey shows is that Australians are inconsistent with our beliefs. But it's interesting, isn't it? Angels are more popular today than any politician in Australia. Statistically, angels are more popular than Taylor Swift. Maybe controversial, but it's true. There are probably more young adults in Melbourne today believing in angels and drinking coffee. Now, that's a stat for you. And that means, though, when it comes to reading the Bible and the Bible starts to talk about angelic beings and other worldly things, it's not so surprising or weird as perhaps some of us first think. Belief in these things if in, in, indeed is growing among young, younger generations. Now, I think what angels are, though, and belief in angels, it's an example of this broader search that people are going on in this society of trying to make sense of the world. 
We're trying to grab and hold on to things that make sense and give meaning. And so the, the idea of angels is one of those ideas that people are latching onto. And it's really interesting because in our so-called secular God-free zone, belief in the supernatural is quite commonplace. And so many of the answers that have been given to us, they just don't satisfy. It's like we've been suppressing our DNA that is wired to know God. Now, our Bible reading today, I think it is worthwhile engaging with, and it's really helpful as we look at this topic. Now, the reading that we just had, it, it comes into two parts. You can split into two sections. And the first section shows us this, that Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than the angels. Now, as we were reading that passage just a few minutes ago, you might have been thinking, well, why does the author of this book of Hebrews raise the topic of angels? What's his interest in angels? Well, it doesn't jump out from nowhere. Uh, there is evidence to suggest that some of the early Jewish believers, so we're talking about like 1900 years ago, they overemphasized the role of angels and they gave a greater devotion to angels than was appropriate. So perhaps the writer here is responding to that misplaced emphasis or, or worship of angels. More likely, though, what's going on is that the author is building on the topic that we started last week. And the topic that we looked at in the introduction last week is this. The Son, that's Jesus, is God's final and sufficient word. The Son is God's ultimate and greatest revelation. If you want to know God, look to Jesus. As we read through the Bible, we learn that uh, angels are messengers. They are heavenly creatures, so they're created by God. They're not gods. They are created by God. And in fact, the word angel means messenger. That's one of their chief roles. They are messengers. And so sometimes, and we see examples in the Bible where angels were used by God to mediate his words. All right, so they're serving as angelic postmen, if you like. Now, in our reading today, in chapter 2, verse 2, I'm just going to read that for us. It says, For since the message spoken through angels was binding... So that reaffirms this idea that sometimes God used angels to deliver messages to his people. The Bible gives us some examples of this. For example, really early in the Bible, in Exodus chapter 3, uh, the story of Moses who is before the burning bush, and we're told there an angel of the Lord appeared. Or in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7, it gives us an overview of the Bible storyline, and it tells us there that God spoke his law to Moses through an angel on the mountaintop. See, one of the main jobs for angels in the Bible is to serve God by mediating his words to his people. So angels are important, but they're not the main character. They're not the main character. So research again is showing that lots of Australians are interested in spirituality that is not dying out. It is, especially amongst younger people, they are sort of dabbling in these things and experimenting with these things more and more. They're interested in spirituality, but not necessarily Jesus. But that's missing the point. Or you might even be someone here today who believes in, say, guardian angels or praying to angels. You might be putting your hope in some kind of spiritual thing but to you, Jesus is a closed book. Well, the argument here is that, no, Jesus is superior to the angels. He is better. He is greater. 
And in verses 5 to 14, what we read is an amazing series of quotations from the Old Testament to prove this contention. And here are three that I want to bring to your attention, beginning with this. The son's relationship to God the Father. Look at verse 5. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son today, I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. Notice what's going on. The writer of this letter, he's not basing his argument from speculation as though he's saying, I'd like to think of God as this or as that. He's grounding his thoughts and his answers in the scriptures. He goes to the Bible. He trusts what God says. And that's a great thing for us to do. So in these verses, there are seven quotations from the Old Testament. And in verse 5, there are two from Psalm 2 and from 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now, both of those quotations are referring to how God anoints and appoints his son to rule as a king. The son is given by God an authority and a responsibility. It's a king-like authority and responsibility. But as the quotation says, but it's a father-son relationship as well. I will be his father and he will be my son. And so the question is raised here, to which of the angels did God ever say that? And the answer is none. None. In the Bible, it's true, occasionally angels are referred to as sons of God, so collectively, but no individual angel is ever called son of God. And the promises given here to, for a king to rule are never given to angels, only to God's son. Do you see the point? Angels have an important role, but they don't have that special, unique relationship that Jesus has with God the Father. There's a second piece of evidence. The son is the object of worship. Look at verse 6. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. So angels worship God. They exist, exist to serve God because only God is worthy of, of worship. That is the devotion of our whole lives. And verse 6 is saying angels worship God's son. So who's greater, angels or Jesus? And then thirdly, we're told the son sits on a throne. Let me read from verse 7. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. Again, angels are servants, but the sun is sitting on a throne. Verse uh, 8, it says again, but about the sun, he says, your throne, O God. So these are one of the verses where, where the Bible directly calls Jesus God. Your throne, O God. That's what he says about the son. And this son sits on a throne over a kingdom without end. It's going to outlast this world. It will outlast our lives in this world. So he continues. In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth. The heavens are your, the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And on this throne, Jesus also judges. Look at that final sentence. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. That's a great reminder, isn't it? The world isn't without justice or ultimate right and wrong. No, this Jesus sits on a throne and he judges. You see, at a time, I think, when we're needing clarity about the big questions of, of life and reality, often what our culture is delivering is ambiguity, 
It's like Port Phillip Bay, you know, after a storm. You know what happens after a storm? The beaches are all closed. You're not allowed to go swimming because the drains and the sewers are emptying out and pouring out into the bay. The water gets all murky and polluted. And, and, and that's often what our society is doing. It's giving ambiguous, murky answers when we need clarity. And so Hebrews, the writer here, he, he's not mudding the waters He's not pretending that everything's the same or that every spiritual idea has the same value. No, he's saying the comparison between the angels and the sun is really crystal clear. The sun, that's Jesus, is better. He is superior. Now, perhaps you're asking, though, so what? Well, when you're reading or studying a document or a book at school or at uni, uh, or perhaps you're, you're reading a document at, at work. There's always that so what question. You know, why do I need to know this? Why am I reading this? How, you know, how does it relate to me? So understand when we're reading the Bible, we're not just getting information to store away for a trivia night or for an interesting sort of fact, you know, fact fun evening or something like that. And these are truths, truths about Jesus that concern us and are for us. And that is what the writer goes on to say next in chapter 2, where we're going to look at the next paragraph now. Now, I want to say something just briefly that may come across to some of us as kind of contentious. Uh, If it doesn't sound contentious to you, it's probably the case that you're not listening enough to the culture to, 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 to feel that tension. Because if we step outside to Warrigal Road and we announce this, what I'm about to say, it is controversial. It is in line with what the Bible teaches. It's in line with what Jesus affirms. But nonetheless, it is kind of contentious. And it's this. Spirituality without Jesus is empty. Spirituality without Jesus is empty. Life without Jesus is heading in the wrong direction. Now stay with me as we read the second part of our reading. Let's engage with what the writer is saying. Chapter 2, verse 1. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. This word is primarily for Christians, for those who have, yes, confessed their sins and are following Jesus, but I think it is also a word for those who are not Christians yet because what it's doing, it's reinforcing, again, who Jesus, what he's about, and the why and how we need to take him with utmost seriousness. Notice how the sentence begins with an imperative. We must pay the most careful attention. Right? God is emphasizing, he's underlining how important this is, what he's about to say. And then verses 2 and 3 gives us the reason for paying careful attention. What does he say? For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received as just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? So on view is heaven and hell. It's divine punishment or salvation. We don't live in a world where we're just choosing our own adventures and we're just making up our own reality and life and God and so on. Now, the word about Jesus here, we're told, and reminder, it brings a great salvation to everyone who hears it and believes it. And ignoring him has great consequences. And what the author does next is to reinforce that this message about Jesus is authentic. It's the real thing. Notice what he says, verses 3 and 4. 
This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So Jesus announced the gospel. The apostles and uh, the there were eyewitnesses, they confirmed the gospel. And God has further testified to the gospel. In other words, this is the real thing. This isn't fiction. This isn't like um, the, the movie Napoleon. I don't know that came out last year, if you may have seen Napoleon or not. Uh, the movie is about one of the movie uh, world's greatest figures, most important, influential figures. But the movie itself was more fiction than fact. In fact, it made watching the movie a really uncomfortable experience. Ask Matt, he was with me, and I was squirming, and it's like muttering away, and because so much of the movie wasn't true. It was just kind of made up. Friends, the word about Jesus is true. It's the real thing. And the writer is saying, will we pay careful attention? In fact, what happens when we're not paying careful attention? He tells us uh, we drift away. Now, when I, I first read through that word a couple of weeks ago, uh, drift, drift away, in, maybe in your imagination too, I was conjuring up the, the wrong kind of, of image. I, I was imagining, you know, sitting in a sort of a, a, a tropical island, um, out at sea, sort of just drifting about in, in these beautiful turquoise warm waters and enjoying uh, a summer's vacation, just sort of drifting about. But Now, this is a maritime analogy, but it's not that one. Okay? The image is of a boat that's lost its mooring, and it's slowly drifting out to sea. It's lost. It's like going down to Mordialic Pier afterwards. You know where the the boats are moored just down the the road, and and they're tied to those wooden uh, piles, or whatever they call them, and and, and it's like someone has cut through the rope, or or simply you just haven't fixed the boat properly, and, and the knot loosens, and it slips, and the boat just slowly drifts out to sea. Drifting away. Or just to change the analogy to maybe something more familiar, if you're driving along Warrigal Road afterward, it's like, you know, it's the end of the day, it's been a long day, you're tired, you're not concentrating as much as you need to on the road, when all of a sudden a car horn is blasting at you because you've drifted out of your lane in front of another car. You've drifted away. The writer says the answer is pay careful attention. Keep your eyes on the road. Know where you're going. And in this case, it is keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus because he is God. He does save. He is worthy of our worship. See, the warning here, it's not, I don't think so much of the person who is making that conscious, deliberate decision, I am rejecting God or saying it out loud, I don't believe in Jesus. It's not your kind of your in-the-face deliberate rejection of God, which does happen. But this is a far more subtle thing that's going on. It's just sort of drifting out with the tide, just being carried out by the the trends of the day, allowing yourself to be sort of lapping up all of the new popular ideas that seem to be gazing on us and, and grabbing people's attention. Now, of course, every society has these ideas and assumptions. Uh, it's just, they, they fill the air that we're breathing, right? We're no exception. We're breathing in all kinds of ideas and influences all of the time. It's unavoidable. You know, whether you are listening to Taylor Swift 
all the Foo Fighters or watching Friends or Modern Family or following uh, Greta Thunberg or Jordan Peterson or whatever it is. We're constantly breathing in and absorbing all kinds of slogans and ideas and some of them do grab our attention, usually ones that have a little bit of truth, just enough to resonate. But God is saying to us we must pay careful attention to what we have heard, namely the fullness and sufficiency and the wonder of his word about his son. He is truth. He is good. The son is superior to the angels. He's God. He's worthy of worship. He's the one who can save. You see, reading the Bible really is important and worthwhile. Meeting regularly with other Christians, again, as in like church, is really important and worthwhile. And praying and focusing on the Lord Jesus and his cross really is important and worthwhile. Or if you just think about it like this. If you're attending an orchestral concert, you know, and even if you haven't been to an orchestral concert live, you've probably seen one on YouTube or you've seen it in a movie. And what happens, the first thing that happens is that the, the instrumentalists walk onto the stage and they take their seat, yeah? And then what, what's the first thing they do? They tune their instruments. So in an orchestra, you might have 100 different musicians that play all kinds of instruments. And during the week, they've been practicing by themselves, but then they've packed their instrument away, they've put it in their whatever, you know, their carry luggage thing, and yeah, um, the instruments are cold because they haven't been playing it for some hours. They've been dismantled. Now they've put the instruments back together again. They've walked onto the stage, but they're not in tune, you see. They're not in tune. And if they were just to start playing the music again, without tuning up first of all, it would sound horrible because they're all playing in different pitches. You see, it'd be like the, the school concert of 1993 all over again. So what happens? The oboe plays a single note because the oboe is the most reliable of instruments to keep its pitch. So you hear this long, elongated sound from the oboe. And then the lead violinist listens to that sound and tunes her violin so that it is in perfect pitch with the oboe and then slowly and gradually the rest of the orchestra follow and they begin to tune their instruments, so the violins and then and the cellos, the flutes and the trumpets, and so according to that single perfect pitch. That is what we are doing as we open God's words at home in the morning, in your Bible study groups, as a, a church together. We are refocusing and reorienting our hearts and minds according to the perfect pitch, which is Jesus himself, who is revealed truly and wonderfully and sufficiently in God's word, the Bible. He keeps us focused on the great salvation that we have in him so that we don't drift away, so that we don't lose our pitch. Friends, notice the warning here. It, it, this matters. The, the, the writer says, if the angels who didn't believe God's words are rightly judged and condemned by God, how much more will we be if we turn away from the greatest word? Despite growing interest in spirituality and all kinds of, you know, I suspect that we are far too casual with Jesus still. We are far too casual with Jesus it's not that we're always outraged by Jesus or we call him enemy number one. 
We just don't take him seriously. We're far too casual. We pick and choose. We take bits when we want it or we feel that we need it and that's about it. But it's like saying, it doesn't matter what I eat. Just put anything in my mouth, chew and swallow. It kind of does matter what you eat, doesn't it? Or it's like saying, it doesn't matter how I drive the car. Well, you know, offer that defense to the police when they pull you over. It does matter. Or it doesn't matter how I treat my friends. Or it doesn't matter what work ethic I have. No, it does matter. See, it's one thing for us to believe in angels or believe that people have a soul or believe there is God. But as we've read today, yes, those things are true, they're real, but there is more. God has revealed to us the ultimate, final, best word. It is the word about his son who forgives and who gives life to all who believe in him. Even the angels in heaven are pointing to that. Even the angels in heaven are singing the praises of his salvation. You know, tragically, there have been a lot of drownings, haven't they, uh, in Victoria over the summer. But coming out of Sydney last week, though, there was a story from uh, one of Sydney's beaches where a group of uh, off-duty lifeguards were, I think they were having a barbecue or something at, at the beach, when they saw a large group of people being dragged out to sea in a rip. So they heard, first of all, the sound of screaming, and one of the, the off-duty guards said they were caught in a rip and we could see them drifting out to sea. We could see there were no waves near them, so we knew it was a little bit deep for them. And as we got to the water's edge, we started to see two of them physically going under. And so these lifeguards, they went in, they swam out, and they rescued every single one of them. The one who rescues us from sin and from death and from all those dangerous currents is God's son. There is no other. He came into the world, he jumped in, he came for us, and he died on the cross to save us. He gave his life. What angel ever did that? What spiritual object or thing died for your sin or can? And can you imagine those people who were drowning and, 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 and as the, people, the lifeguards you know, guards went out and swam to, to rescue them and then they started pushing the lifeguards away and saying, no, I'm fine or just leave me alone or I don't need your help. But why would you do that? No, they simply took their, their hands, they clung to the boards and the lifeguards rescued them. Friend, if you are drifting away, stop and cling to Jesus. Ask him to bring you back. Pay careful attention to his words about his son and trust them. Or perhaps you've never had that personal relationship with God. You've you've never had that assurance of of sins forgiven and and, and that salvation that the Bible talks about. Well, I encourage you, let go of the tide. The Bible's word for that is repentance. It is turn to God and ask him, please, God, save me. Please, God, forgive me that I might know that I am safe in your son. That is real spirituality. That is life-breathing, sustaining spirituality. Let's pray, shall we?
Father, we want to thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus, who is greater than the angels. We thank you for those angelic beings and the ways that they have served you. But we especially thank you for your son who came into the world. He jumped in to rescue us from um, sin and from death that we might be forgiven and have life with you forever. Please, God, forgive us for uh, not taking you seriously. Forgive us for when we drift away. Forgive us for being casual with Jesus. But please, God, help us to see how great and mighty and wonderful he is, that today he is seated at the right hand of God, saving and ruling. We pray that we too might worship him and live our lives for him. And, Father, we ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.